Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host as always, Chris McDaniel, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio and Beyond November. I'm joined today by... A very weary Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. And, and a very clogged up headwise <laughs> Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. This is our post-Thanksgiving Right. I'm not right. weary enough to not do this podcast, though. <laughs> well, I'm had, a champion. I had a bit <laughs> yeah, of those, so Joe. <laughs> I had a bit of the post-election bug going around, but no post-Thanksgiving one for me. So well, it seems I think, like yeah. Well, that's where this well, cold came from. It started off on a good note when I won a decisive fantasy football game, but I'm I'm already delving too much into that. So let's get to the <laughs> news. Yeah, let's get to reality. <laughs> let's get to the real big news. My fantasy basketball team having another good week. Oh. Okay. But actually, the real news, Governor Nixon had some press conferences today all across the state. And Jason, you were at the one that was in St. Louis. I was. What was he talking about? My what? fantasy basketball team? He says- the Todd Aiklins. Is that really your name? Yes, that is. Well, he didn't make any comment about that, but he took what I would consider a fairly decisive and concise stand that Missouri- should accept uh, a facet of the Affordable Care Act of expanding Medicaid. And long story short, one of the aspects of the ACA is that if the states choose, the states could go up to 138% of the federal poverty level, and it would be paid for for the first three years 100% by federal dollars. The state would then pick up a percentage of the cost until they have 10% of the cost by 2020. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. And um, the backdrop of all of this for people who have been following Missouri politics for a while is the, the issue of Medicaid eligibility has been the dividing line between Missouri Republicans and Missouri Democrats for years, starting off in 2005 when former Republican Governor Matt Blunt and the Republican legislature cut eligibility pretty sharply in a way to, in their words, make the budget more fiduciarily sound after a couple of tough years. Democrats saw that move and and pillared Republicans for years on this. And it could arguably say that Nixon was put into office partially because of this. But this other was things. one of his campaign themes. And they what they did was they they cut the el- el- eligibility roughly by 80% from what it was before. Mm-hmm. So now an adult can only make 19% of the poverty level in order to qualify for Medicaid coverage. It's higher for children, but it's very low. And one of the issues has been that they had to cut pretty deeply because in order for any particular person, Missouri gets roughly two two federal dollars for every dollar it spends. So it's pretty uh, – for them to make cuts, they had to cut even more deeply because they lost all this federal money when they cut the state portion. So, I mean, Nixon ran on this. Other things too, but this was a key plank. And what happened was, and Joe knows this well, is he pushed for a modest Medicaid expansion using – payments to hospitals right. to pay for that in 2009 and got totally shut down by the legislature. Even though the hospital supported This would have added about 35,000 people back to the rolls. And the reason I mention all this laborious backstory is it gets to the point of today where Nixon is pushing forward this plan to increase Medicaid eligibility by more than what was in place in 2005 
to a Republican legislature that is more boisterous and more numerous. And more, correct, more Republican, correct. So Nixon's challenge, although he's putting forth an argument that this has to happen, our hospitals and other providers are going to suffer, is convincing Republicans, many of which made the decision in 2005 to cut Medicaid in the first place to completely reverse course on one of the defining policy issues of their party of the last five, seven years. And that's his challenge. We're not going to say it's dead on arrival. We're not going to say it's impossible because the governor put forth a lot of arguments that why this needs to happen, not only for economic value, but for these providers, which are big sources of employment and income. But yeah, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. Well, because of job cuts over the last twenty years, BJC, the big health clinic, is actually the largest uh, employer in the state. So BJC and some of the other hospitals and others have gotten together. They put out a report earlier this week that our colleague Bob Joyner wrote about. Um, I was on the call too, listening to the report. The bottom line is they're saying that. Um, They right now get federal payments for covering some of the uninsured. Those payments are going to go away whether Missouri expands Medicaid or not. And what they're saying is if there's the Medicaid expansion, they'll get money through that, and that'll sort of cover uh, those costs that they're – the income that they're losing. If if it's not expanded and they're also losing this income, they're saying that there's no way that a lot of these rural hospitals can stay open – and many of the legislators who had voted for these cuts are from rural Missouri. Uh, rural Missouri, actually, rural Missourians represent roughly about 75% of the people who were knocked off the rolls in 2005. So there is this strong rural element. Now, whether or not that's going to sell is, right. is another story Be- because Republicans philosophically object to the idea of government having so much control over health And they put forth another question that the governor really didn't answer at the press conference is after three years, when the Missouri has to pick up the tab, how is the state going to pay for it? And obviously, there's time for that discussion to happen. If Prop B would have passed, that could have been a possibility. And I'm sure that they could cut certain things to make it happen. But that's going to be another part of the equation as well. And Republicans have brought that up. (laughs) Now, what Nixon has contended is, and the hospitals, they're saying that expanding uh, the Medicaid will also increase jobs because they'll be hiring more healthcare people to serve these people. And also, uh, his budget office had said, oh, or within the past year, when I wrote a story on this, explaining that actually Missouri, the state of Missouri's share of the 10% is, they're contending, would be no more than about $100 million a year. Because part of the 10%, about 40% of the 10% would be paid for by the hospital. So actually, Missouri itself would only pay 60% of the 10%. So they're saying it's not as much as um, Republican legislators are claiming. Now, the other backdrop is Republican legislators are saying that the federal government can't can't afford to be doing this. And they really believe that what's going to happen is all this is going to get expanded. There's going to be all this expanded coverage. And then the federal government is just going to run out of money and run out of IOUs to China. And then all the states are going to get stuck with the tab. That's one of the backdrops to this also. Well, we're talking about how we're going to pay for it. But uh, there is a plan that would cut revenue in Missouri. Even more. We've got a story in the Beacon site last day or so. 
Uh, but actually, this first came out of Western Missouri. There was some coverage first. What's happened is is that the state of Kansas eliminate is eliminating their all their business income taxes as of January first. They voted earlier this year to do so. Kansas already has been raiding some Missouri businesses from Missouri side of the border and the western side of the state by offering various tax incentives over the, over the years. Well, eliminating the business tax and also reducing their income tax rate so it's now it will as of January first be lower than Missouri's uh, business. Groups in western Missouri fear that this is going to start a stampede across the border there. And so uh, Republican business leaders are proposing – there's various proposals out there, but the one that appears to be getting a lot of buzz is by State Senator Eric Schmidt, who's from suburban St. Louis. And he's also chairman of the Economic Committee that that would be dealing with this, which would would be to cut Missouri's business income tax in half – over five years. And so it would gradually phase it so it was only 50% of what it is now. That would be a little over $200 million a year of a cut out of the state's income. And then on top of that, there may be other proposals to cut the state income tax. The state income tax provides 65% of the state's revenue. That's over $4 billion now. So any cut, let's say if they cut it by just a few percentage points, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So we're talking potentially anywhere from two hundred million to maybe four hundred or five hundred million annually out of the state's budget. They feel that this is necessary because of what's happening in Kansas and what they hear may be happening in Oklahoma, which is another neighboring state in southwest Missouri. Has there been any talk at all about where the spending cuts would come from if if revenue was cut? No. Now what they're saying is okay, see so here's the philosophy here. The belief is that if they cut that that all these businesses are gonna flock to Missouri. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Kansas is banking on the same thing. And Kansas already – there already is word that they are going to have to make significant cuts. There may be – I mean, there's there's been talk of hundreds of millions of dollars in cuts out of the Kansas budget that may have to be made in 2013 or in their 2014 budgets because of what they're doing. Now, they're contending that in the long run it's going to attract business to their state. Uh, the Republicans who are advancing this believe this – in Missouri that this will help Missouri as well. They think maybe it'll steal businesses from Illinois, which just increase their taxes. They're hoping that this will draw more business in, and then you'll have more jobs and more people paying taxes. So they're contending that this will flatten out. Now, uh, a well-known financier, Republican donor Rex Singfeld, is one of the ones who's been advancing eliminating Missouri's income tax and acknowledged recently in a radio interview, that he had he was involved financially in the effort in Kansas mm-hmm. and in Oklahoma, and the perception is that he might be involved in any sales effort here. And just as a as a, a side note, and Joe and I have kind of talked offline about this. This would be a real test, I think, for the new Senate Democrats, because I, uh, this might sound like an odd thing to point out, but I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some opposition to this bill, but right. with Huge Republican majorities, there aren't going to be a lot of places that could stop this legislatively if both the House and the Senate kind of agree on something. Correct. The last line of defense might be this block of Democrats in the House, many of which are new. You mean in the House or the Senate? I mean the Senate. Sorry. That can filibuster and who could try to force changes to this to maybe either stop it altogether or, in Jolie Justice's uh, words, make it less 
bad in their eyes and policy wise. But, you know, there are a few people who came from the House in the Senate who I think if they are a cohesive block and they see something, this is one of the things they want to oppose. You know, they might be people to look out for next session. Now, the governor would have to I mean, I I shouldn't say the governor because we don't know what what the governor's stance is on this. There's an assumption that Nixon, if he's emboldened like he is now on Medicaid, that he might be emboldened and say something about this. Now, I don't know what his stance is, but the perception is, is that opponents, let's say, of this proposal would only need to peel off two Republicans in the Senate to block it. Yeah, because the the makeup in the Senate is 24 Republicans, 10 Democrats. So so they just need two to block, uh, I mean, to sustain any veto by the governor. But again, we don't know where the governor stands on this. And the House is a little more problematic because the House is 110 Republicans now. They need 109. Uh, possibly they could peel off a couple, but often in the House, at least in recent years, they have been more... Um, you could United. also you could also get some Democrats involved in that too. Correct, because so. there may be some Democrats who might go for it. Yeah, so it'll be an well, interesting thing to watch. Well, let's bring it all back <laughs> a little bit closer to home, yes. Jason. There was a recent decision. What was was it last night or the night before? It that? was Tuesday it was night. Tuesday. Tuesday night, and it was the decision to add sexual orientation and gender identity to St. Louis County's non discrimination uh, ordinances. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim Lloyd and I sat through 92 signed-up speakers, the vast majority of which were there to speak about that issue. One person was not. I just want to be precise. And it was, it was, you know, a lot of times when you find out 92 speakers are signed up for something as a journalist, you kind of are like, oh, man, I want to get out of here. But I will say quite candidly that this was the type of thing that you really felt compelled to sit through the entire time because you had some of the most passionate and emotional arguments on an issue that I've ever seen in the St. Louis County Council Mm -hmm. where opponents of this were making various religious arguments and saying that, you know, this was uh, something that was going against Christianity, basically. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But that was the crux of their argument. Right. You also had some business owners saying that without a freedom of conscience clause, a so-called exception, mm-hmm. that they would be put in legal jeopardy. But you also had people saying that they'd experienced problems in their lives, and this was sending a good message mm-hmm. in the state's largest county. And it ended up passing four to three, with four Democrats voting for it and Two Republicans voting against it and one Democrat voting against it. The decisive vote came from newly elected Democrat Steve Stanger from South County. Newly reelected. Reelected. Right. And um, as I think we may have referred to on the show and certainly in the Beacon, he's considered a, a possible challenger to, to St. Louis County Executive Charlie Dooley hmm. in 2014. And Dooley support, supported this. And, right. and, and Stinger comes from a reasonably conservative yes. district in South County. That's why I found that so interesting, because as, as someone who kind of walked around that area covering the Lemke-Sifton race, that's not, that's not a socially liberal district. No, it's very Catholic. It's very Catholic. And I think a bunch of people who were speaking out against that bill came out from that area. Um, when, if... When thinking about it and how this would affect a primary, in some ways, 
I don't think this would be an issue in the primary because both Dooley and Stenger had the same issue on it. But it would be if Stenger had voted against it. Yes. Because I think if Stenger is to run countywide, mm-hmm. uh, he needs the progressive central part of the county, the progressive Democrats, and and, and uh, gay rights groups, are, particularly promo, are very active in Democratic politics, have become much more active the last few years. And so for a candidate to to run as a Democrat for mm-hmm. a county executive or something, he needs – he or she needs their support. And so I took that as a signal uh, that he is at least giving thought to what his political future might be, the fact that he would stand up against arguably a sizable chunk of his district mm-hmm. to vote in what he believed was best for the county but, and conversely, yeah. it may be best for but him politically. Bringing it back to Dooley for a second, I mean, you kind of mentioned to me offline that maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Buzz Westfall wouldn't have gotten behind <laughs> something like this. And, you know, I hope that wasn't a – is that something you would have th- thought or, or – Well, I don't think so. Now, part of it is a reflection of the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, Westfall, uh, the late uh, county executive, was uh, – I think it was a bit more socially conservative on many of these things, but that also was a reflection of the time. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking about this, it's also not so much Westfall, but the time. The fact that in early, that 10 years ago, mm-hmm. frankly, I remember when uh, St. Louis Mayor Francis Lay marched in a gay rights parade mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 11 years ago. That was news because hardly any politicians of either party did it back then. Now – they, yeah. On the Democratic side, in, regionally, they routinely do. My point for bringing that up is, you know, Dooley is is obviously had some a rough 2011 where he was heavily criticized for taking some political risk with raising property taxes and shutting down the parks. And neither of those things were successful because the council kind of batted it away. This year, he's got behind a foreclosure mediation ordinance that is groundbreaking in many respects, but also heavily opposed by banking interest. So that was not a low-risk venture to get behind. And this, as you saw from the just amount of opposition from religious conservative groups, was also not something without opposition. So whether you like or dislike Dooley on these issues, it kind of just shows that he still is taking political risks this year, but he did it behind legislation proposed by council people not just throwing out things and hoping that they stick. And I think that, you know, that was just a better recipe of success for himself. And he can point to these two instances of policy that passed under his watch this year and say these are accomplishments. So it it, it is striking to think about that when you compare it to last year. Now, Jason, you you said that there were over 90 people who spoke. I'm I'm curious. You know, what was the breakdown? Was it about 45-45 for no, against, or was it overwhelmingly— It was like 80-20 right. against. Okay. And I think that the people who were against it were very well organized. There were people who vote, who came to support it. Yeah, the St. Louis Tea Party had put out um, yeah. missives about this. And they mm-hmm. had various reasons for opposing it. Some, you know, were, were more theoretical in the sense that, you know— they came forward, their businesses, they didn't have anything against gay people, but they had religious beliefs and they were wondering where if they ran afoul of this, that they would be liable to fines. But a lot of it was just people who 
we're, we're expressing it from a religious point of view. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong or, or good or bad or anything, but it just showcased that there, there's still a powerful element within St. Louis County that, you know, will come out and oppose stuff like this because they feel it is a front to their religion. Now, so. one quick backdrop here that we need to mention is that over a half dozen uh, municipalities in St. Louis County already have approved a similar ordinance, ordinance ha- as has the city of St. Louis, right. Kansas City, City, and Columbia. So uh, this sort of builds on that. And I think, though, that also heightens the influence of promo and right. some of the gay rights groups that have been yeah. pressing for this. And I, I, they have not been successful with hardly anything in Jefferson City. And I don't think right. they will. Right. But right. I think Especially this, with the recent election But results. I think that this is part of their focus of taking it in a more local, regional approach. And, you know, when you get a place like St. Louis County, which has a Democratic county council, and somebody— and people who are willing to push this across the finish line are in a, a city council like Maplewood or Columbia or elsewhere. That's where they're finding success. And it's funny because really this is a, a, an, a an approach going local that was started a couple decades ago by conservatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, social conservatives started running for uh, school board and some other things when they were having less success on the overall level. And they used that to kind of build up their power base and then became far more successful on a regional, statewide, and national level. So you wonder if maybe this was sort of uh, taking a page out of that playbook. Well, it's not only in Missouri because, you know, I I came from Kentucky, and in Kentucky a gay rights group was focusing mostly on on local places. So Louisville has a fairness ordinance. Lexington also has a fairness ordinance. They were going throughout different cities and whatnot, other rather than just going through the state legislature where it would not have worked. Right. And I don't know. I mean, we don't know how this ordinance will will actually function. You know, Senator, current Senator Jim Lumpke, soon to be former senator, mentioned there might be a lawsuit against it because of it conflicting with elements of the Missouri Constitution. So we'll see what happens. But as I kind of said from the beginning of this segment, it was a very compelling night. Mm -hmm. And I... I think that people that were there witnessing it, it'll be something that they won't forget very soon. And I don't say that a lot about things that I cover. Well, and so. this is notable for St. Louis County because generally speaking, the county council is known for their brevity of their meetings. Those meetings <laughs> start right on time at 6. And if you get there at 6.15, a lot of times they're there for the CNR. Yeah. I mean, that's how the public, quickly... the public. How for- long did it last? The public forum section, not the entire meeting, was exactly two hours long. Wow. wow. I mean, that's unusual. I said the county council meetings are usually done by six. And uh, Mike O'Mara, who is the, the, the chairman, you know, was originally saying, you know, we could do this 30 minutes, but we want to get everybody's take on this. And, you know, just as a side note to show kind of how emotions ran high and something that was striking when he cast his yes vote, somebody said not a Catholic. Yeah, because he is Catholic. Yeah. Which, which you know, caused a reprimand from things. But it was, again, something that I, I won't forget because just because of the intensity of, of both sides on that. So. Right. Well, before we get into two hours, we better okay. cut it off there. Yes. Except I want to make it just a quick oh, thing. Yes. There was this um, major uh, court ruling this week in Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals based in St. Louis, federal. They uh, have um, temporarily blocked— 
enforcement of the provision of the Affordable Care Act that requires that employers have insurance that covers contraceptives. And this is based on a suit that was filed by a St. Louis businessman. And uh, the decision is just now starting to really hit national attention. And it shows that once again, um, St. Louis and Missouri will be once again at the center of a fight over reproductive issues. And uh, U.S. Senator Roy Blunt put out a statement today praising the ruling. Blunt had tried to get a conscience clause exemption put in the Affordable Care Act that would have allowed businesses to to say, um, I don't want to cover this stuff because I'm morally against it. And so this uh, particular ruling, the lower court had actually tossed out the suit but this businessman and his lawyers had taken it to the appeals court, and the appeals court didn't doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to rule in favor of him, but they're uh, basically barring enforcement of the provisions until the appeal is made. I mean, goes through, and that could be months, arguably. So uh, this is something that will be closely watched, and once again, St. Louis and Missouri are at the center of it. Well, that just about does it for this week. Um, you can read all, all of our stories at beyondnovember.org. You can find me at stlpublicradio.org, and you can find Joe and Jason at stlbeacon.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at csmcdaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at... Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe Manny's at... Jay Manny's. That's M-A-N-N-I-E-S for those I-E-S. <laughs> yes, got to stick that E. Well, we will be back next week with more political talking. Until then, so long. See ya.